Okay, here we go, 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 here we go. Easter 5, uh, Cantate, the singing church, sing to the Lord a new song, for he's done marvelous things, and that's what we'll talk about a little bit today. So just as happy that we're on this five weeks into. The kids were great, thanks to the people who, uh, it does raise the noise level just a little bit when you herd all the cattle in the same pen. I mean, that's kind of what they, they can hear each other, you know, they share their anxiety. So, but I thought that was, for 40 or 50 kids sitting together, that was not, you know, that was pretty cool. So thanks to those who sat with them and took care of them. Um, are they singing again at the late service or that's it? That's it. We quit while you're, quit, quit while you're ahead. It was well done. Hey, you know what? There's, what? Exactly. Stop while you're ahead. There's no sense of pressing your luck. What? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I know they're tough. That's a tough crowd. No, they were fantastic. Thanks very much for doing that. Um, just really good. All right, so here we go. The Singing Church, Cantate. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, who through your Son promised us your Holy Spirit and send him down to us that he may teach us to praise you, not only here in earth on weakness, but as the angels do in strength in heaven. Let us remember your power and glory on that day when we too are united with all the saints and when we see you face to face through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, the attendance thing is coming around. Put some money in the basket for Paul Finn, the Bishop of Ghana, and other things, and we'll send that off to him. Uh, life's good. Uh, questions about anything? There's voters meetings coming up. The first one will just be informational. Um, the second one will be um, voting. So it will be one in May, one in June. Uh, pay attention to that. It's out a couple of weeks. But we'll try to get some work done before then. Anything else? I think it might be in three weeks or so. Good. Questions about anything? All right. Here we go then. So um, solar flashlight is, was Kleinig's first thing. I couldn't quite work out what he was saying, but it was basically, because there was a whole different idea, but basically the notion is, you know, this great Kleinig saying, you never run by your own steam. Um, it's very, very interesting. One of the, one of the things when, when other Lutherans come to St. John, one of the things they struggle with is how often we talk about the sort of life that you should lead. And the immediate knee-jerk reaction of Lutherans is that they think you're somehow thinking about, you're thinking somehow that it's works righteousness or uh, we're working our way to heaven. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really run into that many people in Lutheranism who think that, at least in a kind of a gross way or kind of a, kind of a very, very evident way. Usually it's um, something that, needs, that comes out over the course of time that people think they're doing a deal with God. But in general, Lutherans are not defined by people who think they're working their way to heaven. And so, um, and hardly anybody talks like that, even in the greater world. That's really one of the great gifts of Lutheranism. We kind of put that on hold and said, you know, that's not a valuable thing. That's not the way the gospel works. Now, given that, with that assumption, you know, you're really free to talk about what Jesus asks you to do. So the very simple thing that Jesus says is, if you folks could just love each other, the whole world would come. They would point at you and say, as they do later, you know, two centuries in, look how, see how they love one another. Um, Irenaeus, I think, and we run that quote every once in a while. Jesus says, if you love each other, people will see it and they'll want to go to church too. They'll want to be disciples too. Two centuries in, Irenaeus, they said, see how they love one another. Or the letters to Pliny back to the emperor. These people are different. There's something different about them. They think about other people in front of themselves. So it's very good to be able to talk about that in a way, in the same way that Jesus talks about it, um, in the way that a friend, in the, in the way that a friend tells you uh, really good news or gives you really good advice or help or invites you to come along and play. 
and have some good fun. So uh, we all, uh, you know, in everything that we're saying about this, keep in mind, we don't run by our own steam. We take very seriously the notion that we were dead and the Holy Spirit made us alive. We take very seriously the notion that he not only resurrects us, but as the Catechism says, calls, gathers, enlightens, which means he illuminates, he shows us the way forward, calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies, makes you holy. He forgives even your best works. So everything you ever do needs to be forgiven, but when Jesus does forgive it, rejoice in that, that even things that we only get done halfway, partway, three-quarters of the way, everything gets forgiven uh, and is received as a blessing. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Last week I talked about how Jesus' name insulates your prayers. In the same way, Jesus' name insulates your works and presents those to the Heavenly Father. We often don't think about that. But, you know, on the last day, you know, your best works follow you into heaven. It's why heaven is such a happy place. It's where the notion of purgatory came from. Like everything else, you know, things only, they only get off a little bit. The whole notion of purgatory, uh, you know, one of the ways it comes is, it's there in 1 Corinthians, it's also Revelation. The notion of it is, in a, in a, you know, is that your worst things get burned away. The horrible things you've done, that, you know, where, that all gets, it all gets, you know, like refiner's fire is how the scripture talks, you know, or being washed up white as snow. The horrible things you've done all get washed away and your best works are purified and they go into heaven. It's why heaven is such a happy place because everybody is there with all their best, now you even have to think better, forgiven, better than that, holy, everything they've done that's good comes into heaven as holy. So you have this glorious place that is filled with praise for God and the good works done by the saints. And so today we want to talk about how you cooperate and work with God. You actually work with God, and um, you work with God to do his work here on earth. Karen, I'm really surprised it took you this long. I went about four minutes there, and you, I mean, I, I suppose to have summer get a, get a cup of coffee, get her cooking. What's going on there? Oh, you're a clever woman, Karen. I am saying that Scripture supports the idea of being pur- uh, purged, of being uh, purified. I'm not making, I'm not weighing in at all on how long you might have to stay, spend in purgatory unless you're really nice to me. I'm saying nothing about that. Uh, no, what I'm saying is... Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is, do, go read, you know, 1 Corinthians 3, you're purified as by fire. So when you go up to heaven, you're, pur- you're purified even if it's instantaneous. And it should be a joyous experience. If you could imagine having everything that's wrong with you, you know, washed away, burned away, it'll actually be, I suppose it'll be melancholy in some ways because in some ways it will reflect how sinful we are and everything we've ever touched is sinful. But in another way, it will be a very joyous experience to be rid of all the things that trouble you, all the secret sins that you only know, all the bad habits that you've got, um, you know, all the things you've, you've done wrong. Just wherever anything is bent or crooked, it gets straightened and made pure, uh, even if it's instantaneous. So I'm only weighing in on the notion that to go to heaven is to be completely purified. I'm not arguing about um, anything more than that. I just, all I want to say is that this is, this is what happens to you. I mean, I probably should give you a text since I'm, you know, I, I'll, I'll find it for you. But I, I'm, not making a, I'm not making a time statement. I'm only making uh, a reality statement, okay? Make sense? So look forward to it. It should be extraordinarily 
Interesting. Um, if any, this is 1 Corinthians 3.12. If any of you builds a foundation with gold, silver... I should start one back. No other foundation can be laid than the one that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the only foundation for life is Jesus Christ. Verse 13. Each man's work will become manifest. That means obvious, right? Epiphany, manifestation. Epiphany is the word there. Every man's work will become manifest for the day, big D, the last day, will disclose it. Because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Isn't that great? So you go through this some sort of purgation, some sort of cleansing, and you know things will be burned away in some sense. So, if the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Okay, now, just pay attention here. This is all the people who are going in. Um, If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. So, just look at the image. This is talking about the saved. So, it's everybody in the room. Let's presume you're all saved. You're going to walk through that door, and there'll be this big burst of flame, in some sense, right? Some of you are going to come out buck naked. But you're still going to heaven. And people will say, you're naked, but we love you. That's what they'll say. We wish you'd have done more. You had the chance. Should have paid attention. But you're here, so God bless you. That's the bare minimum, right? But then there'll be other people who will be slogging in boatloads of stuff. And the great thing will be the people you don't suspect. There'll be people who will have boatloads of good stuff. You're like, really? You did that? How did I miss that? Eh, You were busy doing something else, you goof. This is what it says. It's right here. I could give you the Greek word for goof, but you wouldn't know it, so I'm just going to keep going, right? Each man's work will become manifest. Uh, the last day will disclose it, so everybody's work will be obvious. The last day will make it obvious. It will be revealed by fire. The fire will test what sort of work you've done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he has a reward. People will say... You did a really, really good job. So you've got to lose your Lutheran notion of having hives when people do good works. Because in heaven, you'll be very uncomfortable if you don't lose that. Because everybody's going to have whatever good they did is going to follow them into heaven. And people will say, I can't believe. It's like people when they go to car night down in Wheaton, they're like, look at that. You restored that. You had, I didn't know you had. It'll be like that. Okay? It'll be just like car night in Wheaton. That's what heaven will be like. <laughs> right? The fire will test the sort of work each one has done. Right? If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he'll have a reward. I mean, among the things will be you'll make God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit very happy. And the saints and angels who say what Father, Son, and Holy Spirit say, they'll be very happy. And frankly, you'll be happy too in this sense. You'll say, well, look what the Lord was able to do with me because I was a bum. That's a very Lutheran thing to say. If any man's work is burned up, so you're, you, go, you go through the railway, everything gets burned up, you'll suffer loss. That is, you know what? You were stubborn, you were obstinate, you thought you were doing good, you pretended you were doing good, you lied about the good you were doing, you did, whatever, okay? You'll suffer a loss, but this is very important, though he himself will be saved. Okay, so this is not a text about going to heaven or hell. This is, a, this is telling you what the door to heaven looks like. And in some sense, there is this purgation, this cleansing by fire, which means everything that goes into heaven is perfect, including you. It should be a delightful experience, okay? 
Um, and with your good works, you make it more delightful. Now, pause, important. Not that your good works save you, just in case anybody's listening on the web. No, your good works don't save you. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is the Holy Spirit will move you to do good works. You and the Holy Spirit will cooperate. Jesus, your brother in Christ, will be very, very happy. This will bring glory to, to God the Father both here and now on earth and later, then and there in heaven. And that will make heaven an extraordinarily interesting place because there's a lot of people for you to meet and you will, you will say things like, I never thought of that or I didn't know you were doing that or really you were able to do that with that? It's going to be, it'll be mind-bending, especially the things that you, um, especially the things you did the good that you don't remember. People that you influenced, that you were kind to, that you brought to the church. You have no memory of them and they'll be there saying, hey, you were very important to me. And that would be a great joy to you, okay? Um, and this follows then. Don't you know that you're God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? You know, don't you know that? You're bought with a price. Glorify God in your body right now. Glorify God. Glorify, glorify God in your body. Make his works, your kindness, love, beautiful things. Make them visible right now. Do some good right now, and then the Lord will forgive it, okay? So it's terribly, terribly important that. Yes, Bruce? I, yes, I'm sure that in some sense it is like your crown of glory, that your good things are, um, yeah, the good, you'll wear your good things in some sense. They have to talk about it, you know. Uh, so, and it'll be fun to see, you know, what people have going, okay? So all that is to say this, which is among the good things that you do with God is prayer. And so we've been talking for a couple of weeks about that. Um, the thing is, though, uh, you should observe in Jesus himself, this is the first point, that Jesus has both a very public life where he does all these very, very good works. He heals sick. He raises the dead. He feeds the hungry. He's merciful. He touches people who are untouchable. Jesus does these very, very merciful things. But it's very important for you to realize that Jesus often, as often, maybe more often, goes away, often by himself. Sometimes he takes his disciples, but often he does that as pastoral care for them. He takes them away on a little sabbatical, if you will. He takes them away where it's quiet, and he devotes himself to prayer. So it's what happens in your prayers. And we've talked about this. I've touched up against this several times across the course of the time that we've talked. But a couple things happen in prayer. First is you have to listen. Because if you don't listen, you don't know what to pray for. You know, you pray about all kinds of things. I do too. Some of my prayers are misguided. Some of yours are too. Even in the past, I've talked about times when it's important to pray against yourself although you'd be very wary of praying against other people, but you pray. You know, sometimes when you pray, deliver us from evil, you're praying against yourself. Very important to understand that, that you, you know, you want to do what Jesus does. Jesus was given to doing his heavenly Father's will. All you have to do is think about Gethsemane when he says he's deeply in prayer. He prays so hard that he bleeds from his prayers. Um, Not, if this cup can pass away from me, not my will, but your will be done. So, I mean, he sorts it all out in his prayers, and then he goes to the cross. Your life um, is not unlike that. Um, when you take your time, and we've spent time, about, we've spent time about finding time and space to listen to God. We've talked about meditation. We've talked about contemplation. We've talked about imagination. If you have a Bible, I just want to give you John 12, um, 49 and 50. Uh, This is how the Lord guides your prayers, 49 and 50. Um, I have not spoken of my own authority, 
The Father who sent me has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. It's terribly important. And you should be able to say the same. I don't speak of my own authority. I don't act on my own authority. I don't do what I want. My Heavenly Father has given me, has himself given me commandment what to say and what to speak. So, so God has given me what it is that I'm supposed to say. God, in fact, gives me my prayers. It's terribly important that your prayers are not an act that you do. It's, it's terribly important for you to understand that God, in fact, gave prayers to Jesus, and he gives prayers to you. And in some ways, your prayers are just a retelling of what's in Scripture. Okay? So here's what Jesus does. Jesus goes away. He takes time. He reflects on the words of his Heavenly Father. He prays those, so he listens. The Heavenly Father speaks to him. This is what happens when you read Scripture. God speaks to you. You listen. You reflect on what God says. And then you speak and God listens. So, Scripture, God speaks and we listen. Prayer, you speak and God listens. The trick is to have your words be the same as God's words. And to do that, it takes study, it takes understanding, it takes patience, it takes selflessness, it takes forgiveness. It takes time. And that is the most difficult thing, I think, for, for many of us. We're, such, we're so busy, we've got kids, we've got things, we've got sports. One of the great joys of my life right now is not having to go to spring 8th grade sports in Wheaton. God bless you who are going. <laughs> Keep a chair warm for me during that six-hour baseball, t-ball game when it's 34 degrees and raining, but they won't call it. It's all yours. I love you. I've done it. I'm done. Okay? So, what you need to do is, um, you know, set aside time and space. We talked about that. Listen to Scripture. And then in your prayers, you say back to God what God has said to you. Okay? Easier said than done. Um, But Jesus did it himself. I don't speak of my own accord. I say what the Father gave me to say. Okay? You, You good? This is, this is going to, you know, this is a little bit of a tester. Then look at this first passage just on the handout I gave you. You work together with Jesus in prayer. One of the places, it's clear, you know, when you feed the hungry, you work together with Jesus. If you, you know, uh, there's women here who for, you know, 20 years have been going over to the convalescent home, pushing people's wheelchairs down to the service so people who are in there, it's an amazingly merciful thing to take people who can't get out of their room push them to the place where they're having chapel on Sunday so they can hear they can be part of a congregation. It's a very simple act that Jesus loves. You're actually taking somebody else to church, even though you might only be taking them 100 feet. That's a glorious thing. You know, your prayers are, are the same way. They're a good thing. John 14, 12 to 14, I tell you the truth. And when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, he's, he's really just saying to you, pay, pay attention. In the King James, it came out, verily, verily, truly, truly, pay attention, pay attention. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will, and now look what he says, do the works that I do. So Lutherans really need to move off this notion that I'm saved and I don't have to do anything. Jesus says just the opposite, by the way. He says it in the gospel for today. I give you a new commandment, do, love each other. Look at he says, you do the works that I do. He doesn't say, I'm going to go to the cross, forgive you, and you can sit around and be any kind of person you want. No, no, he's actually giving you his merciful works. You're going to do the works that I do, okay? And you'll do even greater works than these. That's a bit of a mystery to me how they will be greater. All I can say is that um, it'll, it'll be in more directions by more people all at once. So Jesus is one person. 
you know, he can only do sort of, you know, what, but, but if the church goes out in all directions and you do the works of Jesus, in some sense they're greater. Now, pause. One of the things you always need to remember is, you should memorize this, write it on a piece of paper, shine a light on it in the middle of the night when you can't sleep. It's not a good work until it's forgiven. If you, like, there's, about, there's about ten things you need to know about Christianity. This is one of them. It's not a good work until it's forgiven. Or you could say it another way. Every good, even your best work needs to be forgiven. So it's not a good work until it's forgiven. So what makes your good works good? That Jesus forgives it. You could never really tithe in a perfect way. You know why? Because you're always thinking to yourself, I mean, I don't, you know, do this for, well, of course, now when I say this, it's like seeing something and you can't unsee it. But the thing is, is if you think about, just think to yourself right now, all right, just, just think about what you gave to St. John. And this is a rarefied, so I know that for many of you, this is, number is going to be in the tens of thousands. For some of you, maybe in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Just think about the money you gave to St. John last year. Boom, think about it. Okay, one, two, three, go. Pause. Now, think about what you could have done with that money if you would kept it to yourself. Okay, don't think about that anymore. <laughs> See, what, what happens is every once in a while you think to yourself, that I probably led you into temptation, maybe even to sin. What happens is every once in a while you say to yourself, wow, if I didn't spend so much time loving other people, if I didn't spend so much time giving to the church, if I didn't spend so much time praying, I'd have a lot more time for, I don't know, watching the seventh round of the NFL draft, something really important, right? Yeah? You know, if I didn't spend time helping people, you know, whoosh out their basements after the flood, if I didn't spend time, you know, working at the People's Resource Center, if I didn't spend time, if I didn't spend time at CareNet, all the places you spend time, pads, it's amazing where all, where all you spend, you know, you'd have a lot more time for yourself. Guess what? If you didn't come to church on Sunday, your weekend would be, you know, daylight hours would be about 50% longer. Because many of you are going to be here from 7 to 11 or noon. You know, most of your morning's gone. It doesn't matter. This is the better portion, right? So, but, but that comes to us. The days when we don't think we want to come, the times when we don't think we want to give, the points where we won't be merciful. Um, you know, gee whiz, that's, that's uh, you know, that all needs to be forgiven. And it'll only ever happen finally when we're dead. One of the great things about being dead is that you don't have to worry about that anymore. Not because you're dead, but because you're alive perfectly. That every work of yours has been forgiven. So it's not a good work until it's forgiven. Or even our best works need to be forgiven. To know that is both to be merciful and it will also break pride. Okay? So when you say to yourself, I give all this money to church, the answer is, you know what? It's God's money first, and other people need it. And the catechism says, love God and love your neighbor, so this is what we do here. The cool thing is, if you can get a church doing this, if you can get a church giving, if you can get a church to be merciful, if you can get a church praying, if you can get a church doing good works and not taking credit for it, you'll have heaven on earth. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Look at this. I tell you the truth. Verily, verily, I tell you. Anybody who has faith in me will do the works that I do. If you have faith, you'll do the works. You will. You'll do them. Faith means works. Boy, that's an anti-Lutheran thing to say if, if you don't know what you're talking about. Faith means doing works, right? He'll do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. So the Father and the Son are rooting you on today, and part of the way you know that is they send you the Holy Spirit to strengthen you, encourage you, enliven you, pray for you, right? I will do whatever you ask in my name, and I've talked to you about this a hundred times, I'm just going to give you the 60-second version. 
you can have whatever you can pull out of the names of Jesus, which is your next year's Bible study. I did this the second year I was here for Sunday morning Bible study, a gazillion years ago. But whatever you can pull out of the names of Jesus, you can have. Call his name Jesus. He'll save his people from their sins. So if you have sins, you begin your prayer by saying, Dear Jesus. One of the exercises for the vicars, if you hear, a lot of prayers this morning, a lot of prayer requests, but the vicar has to come up with a name of Jesus for every one of the things that we ask because we take this seriously. We're going to pray in the name. If you listen to the petitions and the prayers after the creed, it's O and then there's always a name and everything that's in the prayer to follow gets pulled out. Then we get to the next petition. There's another name, right? So if you need your sins forgiven, you say Jesus. You know, if you need, if you need wisdom, O Lord of life, O giver of spirit. If you need consolation, O, o, o physician of the soul, you know, O resurrected one when somebody dies. You can have whatever you can pull out of the name, which is why you should spend some time. If you need something to meditate on, think about, to fix your devotions, I would just encourage you to think about the names of Jesus. See, I mean, there's hundreds of them in the scriptures. You can have whatever is in the name because what's ever in the name will be good for you. The best thing for you to have all your sins forgiven. Oh, Jesus, forgive me all my sins. Oh, dearest Jesus, what loss I broke. That's the reason it starts that way, that hymn. Right? And all the rest of the names. Whatever you ask in my name, you can have it. And, of course, this then just puts a spear in all the things like prosperity gospels. Because there's no name that says, if you pray really hard, you'll get rich. In fact, for a lot of people, being rich is not a good thing. In some ways, Jesus, the, the Lord really tests people who are rich. Abraham, David, Solomon. You know, people who are really rich have a particular test because being rich is such a temptation. Right? And in some ways, you know, you suspect that somehow God doesn't even really like you much if he makes you rich. You could think about that. Um, it's not true, but you can feel that way because it's such a burden sometimes. Okay? So, whatever you can get out of my name, whatever you can, if you can find a name, you can have that. And why do you do that? It's really important. Not so you get glorified, but so that the Father gets glorified. I mean, think about the church as a place where everything you do is meant to praise and glorify Christ. To praise and glorify the Father. Every good work you do, it's not about, I'm not talking about doing good works to save yourselves. I'm talking about doing good works so that people look at you and say, just like in the gospel for today, look how they love each other. They've been given a gift by Jesus. Look how they love each other. They've been, they, they, they give glory to Christ. Look how they love each other. They know who their Heavenly Father is. That's the reason you do good works. And every one of your good works gets wrapped up. And among the good works that you do um, is to say your prayers. Okay? If in my name you ask for anything, I will do it. It's like having a really good friend who when you ask him would do... I mean, you, if you are fortunate, you'll have one, maybe two friends in your whole life where you'll say, you know, I have a couple of people I'm sure I could call who would do anything for me. I mean, I'd ask them to do anything. They would do anything for me. If you have friends like that, it's important to be a friend like that. It's important to know people like that. That's what Jesus says he is to you. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it for you. It's so terribly important, okay? Now, when you say all of that, it's very difficult to try to understand why we don't say our prayers. So Jesus is sitting around in heaven saying, hey, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to hear from you. What do you need? I'm willing to give it to you. And after you do it, even if it comes out a little bent up, I'm willing to forgive it. And someday we'll sit around and talk about it and say, isn't this great? That was great. 
I mean, part of the reason you want to come to church here is you have the chance that most churches don't have, which is to be in a place where everybody says at the same time, this was great. We weren't preoccupied with things that normally preoccupy churches, with crabbing at people and gossiping and being divided. This was great. We had the chance to do good. We had the chance to give. We had the chance to be merciful. We had the chance to be kind. We had the chance to raise kids. We had the chance to put up. I mean, wasn't it go- one of the best things this morning was the bells and the choir and the kids all singing together. That was the coolest thing. You know why that's so cool? Because those kids felt like a million bucks. Because those adults let them play at the highest level. That was a gorgeous thing. I mean, that's why it's so important. Okay? You have the chance to be part of a brilliant, brilliant thing here that gives glory to God and that blesses all of you and the people around you. So we should talk about that, we should figure it out, and we should do the absolute best we can anytime we can do it. Does that make sense? I mean, I know you know this, but we've got to say it out loud. It's so important to say it out loud. And among the things um, you need to be doing is to say your prayers. Because Jesus is doing this to you? No, because Jesus is saying, hey, I'm available, I'm online, I'm here, and I'm listening to you. So, um, in Jesus' own life, um, he spent his time saying his prayers because he knew his Heavenly Father was listening, and he also spent his time because um, he knew it would be an example for you. I have a really good friend who I consider a very fine church person who stunned me in a conversation a few years ago um, when the person said to me, um, I haven't prayed for years outside church. So there was some consolation in that, but also I was horrified. I mean, I was stunned by this. Um, this person had a great tragedy in their life, and that tragedy had so damaged them, body, soul, and spirit, that um, the result was from that day, and it had been more than a decade, that person had not prayed. Now, I was consoled by the fact that this person is a regular churchgoer, so I know that this person prays in church. I've been with this person uh, and heard this person in my ear. I'm trying to give you as little data as I can about the person. Um, about the person. But I've been in church. I've been in the, so I was consoled by the fact that when we all said the Our Father, when we all you know, said... Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer that this person actually pray. But here's the thing. Never to pray is not to have faith. In the way that you can say never to, never to do a good work is not to have faith. But we did James a few years ago. I mean, James says if you don't have any works, you don't have any faith. Now, you know, one's enough. It's the bare minimum, but one's enough. And sometimes when people come in and they're worried about their faith, you know, I do sort of say, well, I saw you do this, or I heard you say this. So I know that what you're facing is not um, God walking away from you. You're facing something else, we need to get to the bottom of that. But I should just say to you, it's this partly the reason we're spending so much time on this, and it's so terribly important, and you have to spend time on this, you know, beyond this lesson and for the rest of your life, because Jesus asks you to pray, and if you don't pray, if you don't pray, um, you have no faith. And that's a frightening, frightening thing. I just, I sort of put that out there as the backside um, baseline. Um, on the other side, I will say to you, um, when you say your prayers, remarkable things happen. In fact, even uh, miraculous things can happen. When Jesus says, 
Uh, Jesus did all kinds of miracles, right? So um, sometimes, I mean, I love the ones where he spits on people and rubs it in their eyes. I, I love the wedding at Cana where he doesn't, it's kind of like a dodge. He's just there and his presence, you know. I love the one where the woman touches, you know, just brushes up against him and he feels power go out and he's like, he sort of heals her without, she knows it and then he knows it, but she knew it first. That is the coolest thing, you know, that is just great. But there are often times when Jesus actually does the miracle by saying his prayers. Can you think of any? Can you think of any? Any miracles where he just says prayers? Go ahead. Lazarus is a great one. Yeah, so remember, he comes, Jesus weeps. Then he prays to his heavenly Father, much like you would pray and say, what in the world is going on here, right? And then he says, Lazarus, come out. And his words do what they say. And he, you know, the Father honors that prayer, and Lazarus does, in fact, come out. The feeding of the 5,000. He takes, he breaks, he blesses, which is the way to say he prays. He says grace, he blesses. Heavenly Father, bless this. He, he takes, he breaks, he blesses, he gives, and there is enough for everybody. Now, take this seriously. But Jesus says, whatever works I do, you will do those works and you'll do greater works. Partly what that means is that your prayers will have miraculous effects on people. Now, one of the problems for us is that we often think about miracles as... Um, <clears throat> One of the problems is we have a very limited view of what miracles are. So there are genius miracles, and I've known people who've had these, and I've known people who I trust to have seen these, um, you know, where people are sick, and then suddenly somebody prays over them, and they're not sick. Fantastic. I believe in it. It's not common. It does happen. Um, It's great. And I will say, you know, Bernard of Clairvaux, when you pray, you get what you ask, you know, cure this person, or something better. You're something better maybe going through that fiery door back there, and then you're on the other side having a great day. We'll have a funeral for you, and then we'll stop and eat potato salad, okay? Lunch is on me. Lunch is on you, absolutely. Yeah, yeah exactly right. Thanks for being a good sport, okay? So, um, your, you know, your death is not the worst thing that's going to happen to you. It's going to be hard on us. It's going to be great for you. And then you're like, hey, great. Welcome to the party. Okay? It's going to be great. I, th- I was thinking my death is going to be like my dog. So here's the thing. My dog is so um, strange now. So, you know, you heard the coyote story. So we've got to get the dog to come in. So now every time the dog crosses the threshold, what, when they come back in, what do we do? We give her a treat. So what does the dog do now? No, we haven't trained the dog. The dog has trained us. What does the dog do? The dog stands by the door, and the dog goes like this. Because we're idiots, that's why. We've trained the dog to get us up wherever we are at a moment, so the dog basically thinks, I want a treat. I know how to get one. You know, we're just, we're... So anyway, um, you know, it'll be a good day for you. Across the threshold, everything's going to be fantastic for you, all right? Now, um, remarkable things happen. You should know. I mean, you know, you all think of us, we all, we all, and we do this, we all do this. We think if, and we love it when it happens, when somebody's sick and we pray and they, um, I've told you the story. I'm just going to tell you again because it's such a great story. 
Hospital call, baby in trouble, heart rate, newborn, heart rate wouldn't, like, da, 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 heart rate wouldn't work. They give us a call. Pastor Gainey takes the call, goes to the ICU. Da, 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 da. Everything is screwed up. The, the heart rate is really weird. Uh, he comes to the child. He prays. He anoints the child. And the nurse comes rushing into the room and kind of startles him. And um, he's like, you know, because sometimes nurses aren't always, not all nurses, but sometimes, you know, very interesting, ar- <laughs> no, very interesting article this week in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, or somewhere about how pastors are no longer considered first responders. How, because they didn't let the priests come to the Boston Marathon, they kept all the priests away. Fascinating article. Priests couldn't get there. The reasoning was anybody can buy a clergy shirt for 10 bucks and print off an agenda. And you, the priest might be the next terrorist. That's how, the, that's how we're thinking. Therefore, no priest can come to the finish line. That was the, that's, the, that's the excuse that's being given, anyway, for whatever good it is. And they did invoke the guy. I don't know if you know, you remember the story at 9-11, but one of the guys who did get close was a chaplain to the firefighters who was crushed. He was praying, giving last rites to somebody on the ground who was then crushed when the building came down. Uh, he's kind of legendary in New York City. I'd, he- I'd actually heard that story before. It's a fascinating story. Anyway, back to the other story. So Pastor anoints him, prays for him. This nurse comes rushing in, and that usually means something like, you know, and he's like, he sort of him. He said, what's the matter? She goes, the heart rate's regulated, and that's the first time it's happened since the baby's been born. And it stayed regulated, and the kid went home two days later. You explain it to me. All I can tell you, all I know is the kid wasn't well. He was prayed for. He was anointed, like the scriptures say. If you're sick, call the elders, the pastor, have them anoint you. And what does the text say? The prayer of a righteous man avails much. The prayer of a righteous person has a lot of power. All I can tell you is, there it is. The kid's heart won't regulate. He anoints him. The heart regulates. The kid's been fine ever since. Okay? That's fun because it was on the monitor, and even the nurses got to see it. (laughs) However, you know, uh, this is the last thing. When you say to your next-door neighbor, who's completely broken by a kid being in trouble, their basement is flooded and they've lost everything, um, you know, their parent has died, they've lost a job, when you, and you say to your next-door neighbor, I love you and I'll pray for you, and their life gets better, maybe they even come to faith, that's a miracle. That's a bigger miracle than the kid's heart. Because here's the thing, we can make people's hearts, we can fix people's hearts in other ways, but there's no other way to make a person believe than to deliver the gospel to them. You know, when we pray at the Eucharist, and when Jesus makes bread and wine into his body and blood, when Jesus does this, I'm very, I want to be very clear about that, you know, that's a greater miracle. You know, when there's prayers for the lost, and then someone is baptized, and now they're found, they're dead, and then they're resurrected, that's a greater miracle. Okay? That's a greater miracle than feeding the 5,000. It's terribly important for you to understand that. It's important for me to understand that too because Jesus constantly, constantly prayed. Remember when he's going to leave his disciples and he says, I'll pray for you. They're like, ah, you're going someplace that we can't go. He's like, yeah, I'll pray for you. Which is, he's not blowing them off. He's actually saying, I'll do the thing that is most important for you. It's terribly, terribly important for us to see that. And so, you know, here's the thing. If you go home and you don't want to pray, pray for somebody else. You know, every day of your life, you do things you don't want to do. You get up and you go to work. When you go to work, you do things you don't want to do. You don't always get your way. 
you know, maybe you'd like to drive on the left side of the road when you go home today. Guess what? Tough. You've got to drive on the right side, okay? You don't always get your way. You know what? Some way, sometimes your way is not the best way. You say your prayers simply because Jesus asks you to say them and because Jesus promises that your prayers will have this great effect. Sometimes you see it. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes it happens right now. Sometimes you'll only see it on the other side of the threshold. So having said that, last thing, you know enough to say your prayers. You know that because Jesus has given you his word, he's asked you to pray, and he's promised that he would honor your prayers. Say your prayers. It's not that hard. The Christian, it's like, say your prayers. It's not, go to church. It's not that hard. Tithe, it's not that hard. Be merciful to people. It's not that hard. It takes so little and it gives so much. That's the way of Jesus. A new commandment I give you, love each other, which, you know, consolidates all of that. Okay, got to go. Love you. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. See ya.